look at you, girl. Walking around, confidence and a smile. No one can take the crown. Bask in her glory. A crown tells a story of the queen that dwells inside. Yeah. A crown. Adjust your crown, sis. Respect the crown. Welcome back, guys. On this week's episode of Her Crown, we're going to pick back up on our mental health episode with special guest Carolina. For women out there that are struggling or just not able to push themselves to go to seek help, what would you suggest? Like, what are some of the things you can suggest to them, like, to get themselves moving in the right direction? Yeah, so, you know... The most important thing is not to isolate yourself. Like whatever it is that you're going through, reach out to somebody, like yeah. anybody. Reach out to a friend. Um, get involved in your community. Um, whether it's you know if you um, are involved in a church, you know get involved with your church so you start meeting other people. Whether it's a hobby, like start mm-hmm. getting back into your hobbies. Um, I know that, you know, before the pandemic, there was, you know, meetup.com that you Mm -hmm. can, you know, depending on whatever it was that you were interested in, you can meet up with people that had the similar interests and and kind of meet people that way. So it's not, don't, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to suffer through all these things by yourself. There's, you'll be surprised how many people have gone through something similar Mm -hmm. that you're going through or are going through it, you know, at that point. So um, I think that's the main thing is just try to build that social network and that connection, get into a sport, go to the gym, like just get out there and try to do something. If you feel like maybe you're not ready to go to a counselor or, or seek help that way. Yeah. And I heard you mention a good counselor a few times and do you have any um, tips or, or things that people should look out to help them determine if it's a good counselor. And then it's also kind of a, it's not a one-stop shop, right? You know, who someone for me may not be for, mm-hmm. for, for anyone else in the room and, and vice versa. So um, any tips on that? It's personal. It's definitely a personal. And I know it can get really frustrating because you don't want to share your story over and over, mm-hmm. but you know, definitely if after three or four sessions, you're not really seeing that you're getting anywhere. You're not really making any progress. You kind of just feel like you're kind of, I mean, I've gone to counselors before I've gone Mm. to, I don't know, I would say like four or five and I've only really liked one, Mm. (laughs) one, um, You know, and and when you do find that one, you just know because they challenge you and they walk with Mm -hmm. you and they're empathetic and you just feel like you grow every session after that. Um, It just you you have to it's trial and error. I always, you know, compare it to like going to uh, just any regular doctor like or any Mm -hmm. or a dentist or whatever. I've gone to my fair share of bad dentists and then I just move on and go to a different one. Um, but I know it can be discouraging and I know that people after they have, um, a bad experience with one counselor, they want to give up and just not go again, Mm -hmm. because it is very, 
Um, it can be very overwhelming, mm-hmm. but you know, just keep keep pushing through, ask around. Um, do you know any good counselors? Do you know anyone that has worked for you? Read mm-hmm. reviews online. Sometimes people post. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no other way around mm-hmm. that. And and what would you say? Because um, I would say in a lot of uh, minority communities, we're not um, used to getting counseling on a regular basis, um, especially if you're from a, a low income background. Um, so for the person who does want to seek out counseling or somebody to talk to, but they just don't know where to start or don't have the resources, like what would you recommend to get them going and finding um whether it's pro bono or low bono type services that they could utilize. Yeah. So I think depending on where you live, I think here they have community service boards, mm-hmm. which um, serve Medicaid or uninsured mm-hmm. um, clients. So you can definitely go that route um, and, or search uh, nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. that will have like a sliding fee scale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of another way to go around that. Um, sometimes there are therapists that, you know, take cash only and you can work with them mm-hmm. as far as payment. I know um, when I was going through a really hard time, I, I would say like 10 years ago, um, I reached out to my favorite therapist and I, at the time, like I really didn't have much money to, and I didn't have insurance. Right. Um, so I worked out some sort of, um, like rate with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go every two weeks because I couldn't afford every week, but at right. least it was something. Right. So that's, that's something that maybe could be worked out. You know, if the therapist is willing to work with you, they have their private practice and they mm-hmm. take, you know, cash or whatever the case may be, you can work out a rate. Yeah. And I, so I used to work, um, for behavioral health systems in Baltimore. Um, and that's one of the things they do is help individuals that maybe can't afford mm-hmm. to. And it's something that everyone needs, but not everyone can receive mm-hmm. is what I'll say. Not everyone, you know, there mm-hmm. many people need it. They can't always go get it. Um, and then Nomni in mm-hmm. Maryland um, is another resource uh, that individuals can utilize. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And I only know that because working for behavioral, you know, I was able to see a lot of what was going on in the inner cities of Baltimore and the resources that are available for individuals. Mm -hmm. So those are some just I've experienced. I had a little bit of. Yeah. And if you have insurance, I think a lot of people I've been asked this question, like, where do I even start? Like, how Mm -hmm. do I even find a therapist? If you have insurance, call the 1-800 number and just ask for, you know, um, a counselor. If if you're trying to do couples counseling, marriage and uh, marriage and family therapist, whatever the case may be, but start with your insurance, start with whatever it is that you have. I think too, for me, I've been able to get a few sessions through EAP at my employer. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was limited. And from there, they can make, they made some recommendations for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, to continue after the, the amount that was allotted by the company. And I do have another question kind of to follow up. So let's say someone does go into counseling, they're recommended to a psychologist or psychiatrist, and they are prescribed medication. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of times there's a common misconception about just the importance of taking that medication. I feel that individuals feel, well, I know of individuals that feel like 
I'm not taking it because it's going to make me crazy. It's going to make me, you know, I'm become addicted to this medication, um, things of that nature. I'm someone who actually takes, you know, medication to keep myself level. But I think a lot of individuals don't understand what it's doing. Can you kind of speak on that, the medication portion of it? Yeah. So if, if anxiety or if depression starts interfering with your everyday life mm-hmm. and you go to a doctor and they prescribe medication, it is important that you take it as prescribed. Reason mm-hmm. being is because it takes about two to three weeks for your, um, your body to kind of process it and to kind of level, you know, to whatever it is that the medication needs. When you mm-hmm. talk about depression, you're talking about a chemical imbalance. So it's mm-hmm. like all over the place. And what the mm-hmm. medication does is it stabilizes you. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important, you know, for you to take it as prescribed. If, if they tell you to take it daily, X amount of milligrams, it's important that you take it along with, you know, counseling or therapy as well. Um, I know that, you know, I mentioned when I did go to counseling about 10 years ago, I was definitely feeling really depressed and Mm -hmm. it was interfering with my everyday life. Like I didn't want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. All I wanted to do was sleep. Um, I had thoughts of suicide at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, and I probably should have gone to a provider and I most likely would have gotten medication during that Mm -hmm. time. But I was really, I myself was really resistant to that. Like, no, I don't want to take medication. Mm -hmm. No, I don't want to put, you know, these chemicals in my body. But like looking back at it, you know, I was a lot younger. Mm -hmm. If this were happening to me today, I would, I know the importance of it. And sometimes you really just can't do it alone. Um, Sometimes you go through situations where you feel, you know, anxious or depressed or whatever the case may be, and you're able to kind of push through them and Mm -hmm. you're fine. But like I said, if it's interfering with your relationships, with your work, with just your everyday functioning, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. Delving kind of deeper into the women's side of it, um, what would you say is the the bigger impact of women in particular since we... uh, wear so many hats in our lives and, mm-hmm. and how our mental health can have an impact on others, uh, probably more so than, than men. Right. So as women, like you said, we do wear many hats. So that's a great question I wanted to ask you guys. We talk, you know, there in one of the groups that we do, um, we're at my job, we talk about masculinity traps, masculinity traps, what are men supposed to be like, but now I'm going to ask you guys, you know, what are femininity traps? What are women supposed to be like, right? What are the messages that society, our family and everyone kind of sends us? What do you guys think? That we have to be strong. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what kind of strong though? Um, to be, able be too to- strong. <laughs> And and I feel for me as a mom and as a wife, I feel like that's something I struggle with mm-hmm. um, trying to figure out like where I, I fit in there. Like, I know my husband is supposed to be the head, you know, things like that. But me as a woman, I still am supposed to be strong and able to handle having a job, being a mom, running my household, like all of these things. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be able to multitask and be strong enough to do it and not complain about it. So emotionally strong, right? Yeah. But you can't, but you have to be careful because then you can't be dominant. Right. And that's and that's the trick. Yes. That is the trick. Right? That's it's what like we're you told. Gotta, you gotta be able to put on all these hats and and because we are a lot of women are not only wives and mothers, but they are going out and working. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like 
um, you can't bring that masculine type of energy because mm-hmm. they associate being a working person with a masculine type of energy. So you can't bring that into your household. You can't have that dominant spirit or whatever. But, you know, just like men, like all men aren't super hard. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Are, some men are emotional. And I think it, at times we do have to break down those gender stereotypes, whereas women are overly emotional um, and men just keep everything in and they hold it in and they're super hard and they don't cry. Everybody cries. Some of us just mm-hmm. cry when nobody is looking, but we all cry and we all have these um, things that we're going through. I personally... Um, so, but, but, but get this message though, right? So as a woman, your society tells you, you know, don't be too dominant. Don't be too strong, but mm-hmm. also be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, um, don't portray yourself as, you know, someone who doesn't have it together, but then also have it together, but then have the man be the protector, but then, you know, be independent. So like mm-hmm. all these different all these mixed messages. messages. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I struggle with that. I just became a supervisor in the last year and it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a been a tough balance or a tightrope. It's like, especially I feel like with women supervisors, and I think even sometimes we as women are guilty of it. If you come up too strong, you're, a, mm. you're, you're, you're certain names and you're a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're, and you're doing that because you're, because you're a woman, if it was mm-hmm. a man, um, and the man was exhibiting the same behaviors, he wouldn't get called those names. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> we were supposed to be uh, just straddling that fence of not going too far. And then if we don't, if we don't show strength, um, we get taken advantage of, or we're too mm-hmm. weak, and we, we we shouldn't have been in that position. And then it's kind of funny because earlier today I got a, a coffee table delivered, and it was um, I think the package was like two hundred and something pounds, and they split it up in two boxes. So um, I don't have a, a man in my life that I would call on or whatever. And, but I also felt like if I did have one, I'm, I'm more prone to, to do physical things mm-hmm. and um, uh, <laughs> was just struggling to get it up, up into the house and up on the second level. So uh, my housemate was like, let me call a, a guy to come. help." <laughs> <laughs> And they were giving her a hard time. And I'm like, well, which way do you want it? Do you want me to be the damsel in distress or do you want right. me to be so strong that, and then I'm, I'm too, I'm too independent. I'm too, uh, I don't, I don't need you. And, and it, I just find that a tough. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in songs, yeah. right? Be a yeah. lady in the streets, freak in the sheets, yeah. like, <laughs> like all, all around. There's, there's so many different things that you're supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And we all get, all of us get trapped in this. And I, I think a lot of times when we as women, you know, with all of that going on, we begin to believe we have to be all of these things mm-hmm. and that itself stresses you out. So now you're like stressed because you're just like, oh, wait, I, I want to be this, but I want to cry for a moment. I just need a second to myself. And you can't even catch I can't even breathe for a second. Like, it seems like you don't get any downtime because we're so busy trying to perfect what society says we have to be. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard, especially if you have children to mm-hmm. work a 40 hour week job and then 
come home around five or six and then continue, right? Because you have to cook. And I mean, typically women, you know, in a relationship are the main caretakers, even if the father lives there and they're involved, like you have some really good dads, but Mm -hmm. the majority of the time women tend to do more. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And it's not even that the man is asking to do more. A lot of the time for a child, when they're mm-hmm. sick, when they're sleepy, when they're hungry, mm-hmm. all these things they, they need, come they're coming to their mother mm-hmm. and they don't care if you're sick. They don't care if you're having a bad day. And it's so hard to be able to turn it on and off that switch and saying, okay, well, even though I feel horrible, I got to be this mom and be peppy for this child, mm-hmm. you know, and not react in a negative way, not have this child feel my stress. And that's hard trying to keep your inner feelings away from your child seeing, because I, I feel that a lot of it, if you present it to your child, they're, they're going to realize, Oh, mommy's sad because of this, that, and the other, like, I don't feel that's a child's place. I feel like we need to keep that away from the child, not keep, you know, being emotional away, but they don't need to see what you're stressing over. That's my mm-hmm. belief. I just feel like there's a time and a place to discuss and deal with what's going on. And it's not in front of your child. So that's a hard thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely important yeah. not to get children involved, especially depending on the age children tend to internalize and they tend to think that everything is their fault. You know, oh, my parents got divorced because of me, because I didn't behave right. Or my mom is sad because of I wasn't good at school. And it might not even be the case. They don't have the capability or the mental space to understand at that point. I I feel kind of bad about that because um, one of the things I think about in my own childhood, especially how moms sacrifice so much of their own wants and desires Mm -hmm. for the family, Sometimes, you know, I feel like a lot of women have to be able to accommodate their men's careers, whereas Mm -hmm. their man or their husband might not necessarily Mm -hmm. be willing to do the same for them. Um, And even in my own life, like I can remember being a kid and my parents, um, you know, kids see things, whether you try to hide it from them or not, Mm -hmm. they see it, they recognize it. So I could see the dynamic between my my father and my mother was not great. Um, I'm pretty sure that they loved each other just for the sake of the fact they had been together so long. But a lot of times I felt like they didn't like each other, like they were just not getting along. Um, and it was a struggle. And I remember a point in my life when my mom literally sat me and my brother down and said, you know, as delicately as she could, that mommy and daddy are not working out and you know, we're going to end the relationship. Mm-hmm. But me and even seeing that awkward dynamic between my parents where there was definitely some conflict, I was so used to having two parents in my household and that being my foundation that I could not as like, you know, I think I might have been maybe like 10 years old or something like that. I could not wrap my brain around my parents breaking up and breaking up the family. So I can just remember falling out, passing out, crying. My brother was upset. And, you know, my mom kind of sacrificing and staying in that relationship a lot longer than me being a grown woman now and seeing and knowing what I know as a woman. I almost wish that as a child that I could have understood where she was in her life. And what she was going through and and had the compassion to be like, you know what, mommy, do what's best for you. Because in the long run, it's going to be better for your happiness. And if you're happy, 
we're all going to be a lot happier. But she sacrificed and she stayed in a relationship that she wasn't happy in for a long time. And because of a lot of external forces from her kids telling her she needed to be there to her, her mother telling her, you don't break up your marriage. And um, I feel a little bit of guilt about that sometimes, even though um, obviously my mom was a grown woman and she ultimately is responsible for her own decisions. But um, I kind of wish- Have you talked to her about that? I've never had that conversation with her, but I've thought about it a lot. And I find myself like as an adult trying to create these experiences for my mom. Like when I was- able to take my mom on her first international trip I was I I wanted to I'm like get your passport we're going because I know there's so many things she wanted to do in her life that she didn't do because of being a mom and you know not having the support so I feel like I'm trying to make up for some of that lost time but um I do wish that um she could have done more of what she wanted for her you know what I'm saying I think her life could have been so much more different and I do have a slight of a little bit of guilt about that. I don't know. Weird. It's not it's never too late. I think that it definitely is a conversation that you could bring up to her. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, you were a child, you were just responding the best way that you knew how. Mm-hmm. Um, so I in you mentioned it right now. If it were now as right. an adult, you wouldn't have the same reaction. You would be like, All right, mom, do what you gotta do. I understand. Right. And that's a big misconception that I see time and time again. These um, couples that stay together for the kids, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking that they're doing them a benefit when in reality, they're doing them a huge disservice Mm -hmm. because these children, what they see is this dysfunctional relationship Mm -hmm. as they get older, you know, parents might not talk to each other. Their relationship isn't, you know, it's not like this partnership, everyone kind of living their own lives and kids see that kids can you know, feel it, understand it. And that's the message that is getting passed down to them that, Hey, if I get into this type of relationship, it's okay. You Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's what I see time and time again. And another thing I see of why people stay in relationships is that sense of familiarity. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have to start again with somebody mm-hmm. else, if I'm going to meet someone new and that fear of the mm-hmm. unknown. Oh my God. It, the, you saying that just reminds me of this thing that Steve Harvey said is one of the only things Steve Harvey has said that really resonated <laughs> with me. Um, <laughs> but he said this thing to this one woman who was in this relationship, it was not going well. But she was still still going through the motions with it. She And she said, you know, I've been with this guy for six years. I don't want to start all over having to get to know another person. Mm-hmm. And he said what made most sense. He was like, okay, you've been in this relationship for six years and unhappy for six years. So you want to keep going another six years doing this because you're scared to start over? Like that literally makes no sense. So you'd rather just stay stuck in the misery than move on to possibly green pastures. I mean, you might have a fear that you maybe it's a fear of being alone or maybe it's a fear of just having to start over. But is it is that worse than what you're already doing that's not working for you? Like for some people, it it is. It's comfortable. It's that sense of like, I know what it is. I know what it's like. I know I'm unhappy, but I know it's there. Mm. That's a horrible way to be. 
I know, I know someone that, you know, is going through that situation. And what, what you don't realize is how fast time goes. Like we get caught up in our jobs and our everyday lives and, you know, just the hustle and bustle of things. And then before you know it, you open your eyes and a year has gone by, five years have gone by and you're still in the same situation and you're still unhappy and you're, you're wondering why you're stressed out or why you've developed, you know, um, whatever condition you have, Mm -hmm. you know, you only have one life. And at the Mm. end of the day, it's not guaranteed. Mm. Like you're not guaranteed that you're going to live till 70 or 80. And stress kills. And we don't realize, we realize that we've been told this, but people aren't acknowledging that we are causing ourselves more stress sometimes Mm -hmm. than need be Mm -hmm. because we put ourselves in situations. I'm a firm believer of it can only be someone else's fault for so long. Mm -hmm. Like at what point do you take ownership and say, I'm hurting myself too. This -hmm. person may be hurting me mentally and physically, but I'm hurting myself because I'm not taking myself out of a situation that Mm -hmm. I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important for you to have that check with yourself. Like I'll disclose something too. When 10 years ago, I was going through a lot of different things were happening in my life and I was extremely stressed. I was going to grad school. I was, you know, definitely holding a lot of stuff down, not talking about what was happening or what was going on in my life. And then Mm -hmm. little by little, I started getting hives. Um, Mm -hmm. So my body started manifesting and it started just pushing it out. So I would get hives on my chest, on my eye, like my eye would blow up. Like I had a huge allergic reaction. And I got that for months. I would get it for like two or three months and then it would come back next year. Mm-hmm. And I went to I went to the doctor. I went to allergists. Um, they did all different types of tests. I took Benadryl, Claritin, all these different things. I would kind of manage what I was going through. Mm-hmm. But what was going on was emotionally mm-hmm. I was messed up. Mm-hmm. Not my condition because I, I suffered through the hive situation for about, I would say, three to four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was when I was the most stressed and mm-hmm. it didn't improve until I started going to counseling, until I started talking to someone and opening up about some of the struggles and the things that I was going through. And I kid you not, I did not get any more hives again. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You just put me onto something. I used to struggle with hives, just like what you described. They were all over my body. I was mm-hmm. sitting at my desk at work, like the scene from Hitch with mm-hmm. um, Benadryl on my desk, like it was a juice box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I never would have equated it. I just kept going back to the allergist and, you know, going to different doctors, the internist and they were like, oh, you know, at John Hopkins, they had a case of 400 people. And out of the 400, they only found the, the, the cause out in three. So mm-hmm. you, you'll, you're probably never going to figure out what's going on. <laughs> I know. Yeah. When I did the allergy test, they picked, they poked me like 150 times and they're like, oh, well, you're allergic to dust and to cockroach feces. I'm like, okay. What? <laughs> 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 I haven't been. <laughs> <laughs> that's like no help at all. Right. But that is so, but that's a, a, a interesting perspective to have to know that um, your mental well being can manifest in a physical manner if it's really being unaddressed. And, right. you know, even for me personally, I know that 
when I'm super stressed out, I get migraines. Migraines is a big My one. Migraines people. flare up like crazy mm-hmm. when I'm stressed to the point where like, I got to sleep in the dark room. I have to pull the shades. I got to put a cold compress on my head. Like, mm-hmm. and, and um, I read a lot of mental health treatment notes just in my line of work. And I, I've looked through, you know, mental health records and seen people struggling with physical manifestations that they're constantly going to the doctor and nobody knows what it is, but it's just like something's going on and now my stomach is bothering me like crazy. I don't know what's wrong and they can't figure it out. And they're saying, oh, this person has some type of somatoform disorder. And then it comes out that, you know, it's an anxiety response. This person was having the whole time and it wasn't until the medical doctors couldn't figure out what was really going on. There was no clear etiology for the physical manifestations that they said we're going to refer you to behavioral health Mm -hmm. and as the person got in with behavioral health and started going through that treatment they started getting to the underlying source of the issue and seeing the patterns where you're having this you know high level of anxiety or stress and it's manifesting in this physical manner so you know a lot of people might not even realize that that could be happening that could be a sign that you're having some type of mental anguish or your your mental well-being is off. So take notes, people. You brought up a good point. You know, people get ulcers, people Mm -hmm. get panic attacks, people, Mm -hmm. all sorts of different, you know, ways that it can definitely just, your body's like, I had enough. I'm going to push it out, you know, because emotionally I just can't handle it anymore. Right. Right. So go ahead, Jeffrey. I was going to say, I wanted to circle back a little bit. We've talked about the impact on children and um, we've talked about it from us, the aspect of them seeing trauma or seeing issues. Uh, but what about the hereditary? I, I've seen or read some things where they talk about there being potential hereditary uh, passing down of mental health issues. Um, is there any truth to that? If so, what, 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 does, what particular issues could be passed down? Yeah, so there, there's oh, some things that could be passed down through the genes, like substance abuse, you know, mm-hmm. addiction. Um, there has been tons of research on that. And, you know, if you do have that in your family history, you definitely need to be careful. Like you mm-hmm. definitely, you know, if you have alcoholism in your family and you start drinking at a young age, you need to be careful because you could go down that same path. Mm-hmm. Um so there's that there's um diagnosis like schizophrenia mm-hmm. is definitely hereditary um you also have um bipolar is another mm-hmm. one that gets passed down through the genes as well um so it, it's it's interesting we there with every single person there's no particular answer as to like was it the genes and things that were passed down to them or was it mm-hmm. the environment because we don't know it's like kind of like was it the chicken or the egg type of thing right um, I think it, it, this is, I found this case very interesting. I was going to grad school and one of my, um, one of the students, she was, uh, doing her internship at the hospital and it was, um, this woman, she had the onset, she had an episode and she had the onset of, um, schizophrenia mm-hmm. and, um, specifically she was catatonic. So she mm-hmm. would, um, stay in a specific space and not move hours and just kind of stare blankly um and that kind of got triggered because she found her husband cheating on her wow so um it was a woman in her early 20s and this kind of I guess it was so traumatic or so um 
anxiety producing that it kind of triggered maybe she had the genes of schizophrenia that weren't tapped into Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden you know she um it brought them out Mm -hmm. so yeah you never know but it's not necessarily uh, a guarantee that just because you have you know mental health illness within your family line or your gene line that it's going to set upon you as well necessarily like yeah it's possible do, but yeah it is possible and you know unfortunately you know I guess you just don't know it's part right. of life right. um all you can do is you know take care of yourself the best way that you can by eating right sleep is a big thing mm-hmm. making sure that that you do have the right coping skills and you know that you do what it is th- that you do what it is to be done to keep yourself healthy mm-hmm. and kind of um monitor yourself and and if you are you know um seeing that maybe you're having like mood swings or something mm-hmm. you know isn't right then definitely going to see a provider to see if you need a further assessment is kind of like the main thing just kind of keep an eye on that and you just mentioned like coping skills like what would you recommend um, just as some self-care, self-help tips for, you know, anybody that's kind of like struggling with their mental well-being to kind of cope with getting through that um, outside of seeking, you know, out individual therapy and counseling mm-hmm. if needed? Yeah, so d- definitely um, start with positive affirmations. Start mm-hmm. telling, even if you don't believe, you know, these things about yourself, start telling yourself um, that you are smart, that you are worthy, that you are beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, that you, all these positive things. Um, so it's funny because they did, I, I've seen videos on TikTok and different things where women, they start from day one and they're kind of like laughing about it and they don't believe it. And by day, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks mm-hmm. later, they're like really truly believing it. So mm-hmm. even you have to fake it until you make it type mm-hmm. of thing. Even if in the moment you're kind of in a rut and you don't feel it, start telling yourself these things. Eventually, you know, one day you'll start believing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mentioned before, it's definitely about getting yourself surrounded by people, making those connections. Don't isolate yourself. You don't have to suffer through these things by yourself. Mm-hmm. And given, you know, the state of the pandemic and we're kind of going in flux of whether we're, we're, we're mm-hmm. moving forward so we can get back to somewhat normal or if we're going to end up going backwards, um, have you seen a spike in certain mental health issues as a result of the pandemic and um, any recommendations on how to combat those things, especially for folks who are probably isolating at home? And- mm-hmm. Yeah. So this pandemic has been really hard for everyone, right? Um, from adults to children to even, I think that the only ones that have benefited from this have been the pets. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot more like- I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> walks, walks upon walks because exercise helps release some of those things too. Yeah. So it's just like, you know what, let's go on a long walk. So I agree yeah. with the pets. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, um, definitely getting yourself out there if you are comfortable with even just exercising by yourself going for a mm-hmm. hike i think a lot of people another thing that they did during this pandemic was um they got a pet they got a dog they got a cat <laughs> so it gives, i got a dog now carolina <laughs> awesome congratulations it, it does it gives you some a sense of purpose mm-hmm. you know and companionship mm-hmm. which is a big mm-hmm. one like even though um 
whether you have a dog or a cat or a lizard, whatever it is that you have, even though they don't speak your language, you can right. still talk to them. It's a living, breathing thing that's there with you, mm-hmm. kind of just um, as opposed to being alone. Um, a lot of people, you know, did a lot of Zoom calls or a lot of virtual mm-hmm. um, meetings to kind of keep up with people. I feel like, you know, for me, it kind of benefited my friendships because I would reach out to them more. They would reach out mm-hmm. to me. We got to know each other a little bit more because we had all this time, right? Mm-hmm. When things were it, when things were pre-pandemic, we were just like, okay, I got to go. I got to go work, 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 work. I commute this and that. And now yeah. it's kind of like, let me call up this person and see how they're doing. That was yeah. another thing that came about. We're a bunch of random people <laughs> reaching out to you. <laughs> I haven't talked to you in years, but thanks to the pandemic. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. That is so true. Hello, yes. stranger. Right. <laughs> it's funny you say oh. that. I found myself doing that. I called an old coworker that I used to work with just to check in on her, maybe yeah. like halfway through the pandemic. And then she just texted me the other night and told me she was finishing her degree. And I was like, oh man, congratulations to, to that. And I, we hadn't spoken in like three or four years. So wow. <laughs> that, so that's another good point you bring up. So um, doing something like getting involved in like a specific project, mm-hmm. it, keeping your mind busy. So whether it's um, going back to school, doing a degree, um, it, that's kind of a, another coping skill that, you know, that we do recommend, let's say someone's going through like a breakup or something like that. We right. always say, try to, you know, enroll yourself in like a half marathon or some sort of mm-hmm. race so you can train and have like an ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. So you can use that as well, you know, especially in moments right now when you're not, we're not, it's kind of wishy-washy in the things that we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense because um, it's so funny. My friend actually sent me this article from New York Times um, today. And um, because he, in the group chat, they asked like, you know, how's everybody doing? And I was just like, eh, blah. My day is just kind of blah. And I feel like that's kind of been a, a regular state for me during this pandemic because I'm always at home. Like I have, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot to look forward to outside of, you know, these four walls or whatever. And I was reading an article and it was saying like, you know, there are so many people who are going through the same thing where they're not quite depressed, but they're not at their highest peak of like well-being. And they're just kind of like languishing. That's what they called it, like languishing in this place where, you know, they're, they're having less concentration, less motivation. They don't feel like they have a lot to look forward to right now because, you know, we're kind of just in this state of purgatory where we don't know how long we're going to be like this. Right. And we don't know when things are going to get back to normal. So you kind of just stuck without that much to look forward to. And one of the things that they did mention is you know, trying to find something that gives you joy, something that gives you something to look forward to, an activity or getting into a hobby, something that at least maybe kind of like get your endorphins going a little, give you some more energy. So you're not kind of just like, for me, like in a state of just kind of flatlining socially, personally, especially if you're, you know, living alone and isolated a lot. You know what I mean? Like you're in solitary confinement, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely like finding some sort of goal or purpose, a project, anything to get involved in. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Um, I think that's, that's definitely important because if not, then you're going to feel blah, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's, it's important for all of us to like, if you do feel comfortable, go outside. Like a lot mm-hmm. of us work from home mm-hmm. and then we're at home and then we don't even change cause we're in our pajamas. Right. <laughs> and then it's like eight hours go by and you're still in the same space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're, you know, it's what, four or five o'clock and you clock out and then what? Right, and then you right. go sit on the couch and watch TV and maybe pet your dog or whatever. And, right. and that's kind of that. That's not, that's not the life that we should be living. It's not normal. And I'm just like, I feel like definitely like my friends have kind of gotten me through this space because, you know, I do have times where I can look forward to seeing them and spending time and doing something and getting away from myself. Like (laughs) I love myself, but I also like, I feel like I need some human contact. Um, You know, I need to be able to be in a relationship with other people, Mm -hmm. even though I do very much value my meantime. So um, yeah, because I ain't trying to languish out here in these streets. I I mean, I I know that when, when everything was basically shut down, like I came up with a schedule because I was going crazy. And I know Mm -hmm. I told you this, like Mm -hmm. Monday, I would go to the grocery store. Tuesday was target day. (laughs) Wednesday, you know, I would go and I would walk to Whole Foods, which was 10 miles. And in my, my, it was like the same routine every week, but I knew I had something Mm -hmm. to look forward to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the whole purpose because if I just had nothing going on, I, I, you know, especially when we came from such a busy lifestyle oh God, yeah. to this, you know, it's, it's a huge shock for all of us. And I think, you know, whether you live by yourself and you're single or whether you, you live mm-hmm. with other family members and it's like 10 people in a house or even mm-hmm. five people in a house. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot for everybody. Absolutely. So, well, guys, I want to um, start to wrap this up because we could talk about it forever. Um, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, but I just, um, maybe I'll ask all three of you, since all of you have had, um, you know, experience with either some type of mental health treatment, whether it's the medication aspect or the counseling, what was the most valuable aspect that you took out of um, your treatment and seeking help and what advice do you have to other people who are teetering on the edge of, um, deciding whether or not to seek out some type of counseling or treatment? I'll start with you, Gabrielle. Yeah, I would say that, um, for me, uh, I didn't necessarily touch or delve into all of why I went. I went because of a sexual assault and, I was crying myself to sleep at night every night. And I lived with family members who I knew knew something was wrong Mm. and I didn't feel comfortable talking to them about it. Mm. And it was to the point where I couldn't stop crying everywhere that I went. And for me, it helped me be able to release what I was feeling and process what I was going through at that time without having to share it and feel the, I don't don't even know if it was shame. I just, I didn't know how to feel. I, but it, I was feeling something because it was coming out of me in tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and then years later, going to an event and reading someone's diary who had committed suicide and um, just that opened a door of feelings. And I felt like it was time to mm-hmm. go back because there was there was a trigger going on in my life in my home space mm-hmm. at that time. And um, each each of those instances 
it just, it like Leandra mentioned earlier, it felt like a weight coming off of my shoulders, being able to go talk to somebody who didn't have a vested interest in the outcome. They didn't have a bias. Um, and they helped me just kind of deal with my lack of being able to, to, to articulate what I was feeling um, and give me some pointers and then just make it through the day um, and get to a space where I didn't, I didn't feel that heaviness all the time. What about you, Lee? Um, for me, I will actually say like both have helped me. I have been on a few different medications throughout and I have been on for a few years now. I didn't acknowledge that I needed help until I went off to college. Mm. So I was dealing with everything else in my life up until college. And when I got to college, it was like adding something else on it. And I was just like, I can't do it anymore. And I even thought about walking away from school my first month of being uh, in college. I thought about walking away and just because it was so much. So for me, it was just like, I got to find a way to fix these issues. So the counseling definitely helped. But for me, my medication helps. And to this day, I make sure I'm not missing my medication because I can tell the difference. Mm -hmm. And because I've been on it for so long now, I, I know when I'm in balance, I know when it's coming on and I need some extra, like I need to go see someone Uh, for me, walking, exercising are those things that help me, but I've learned to find things in between my counseling sessions that keep me normalized for the most point if we can say normalize it's really no normal but to keep me in a place where I'm comfortable Mm. and I'm able to continue my day-to-day but one of the key things is acknowledging Mm. I feel like you have to acknowledge that there is an issue it's nothing wrong with you but there's an issue and if Mm. you want to feel quote-unquote normal you have to address the issue If you want to be back to your loving, funny, bubbly self, you know, you have to address it. And I think I've learned that over the years and not worrying about what people think. And I, I mean, anyone will tell you, I will openly say, yes, I deal with depression and anxiety and I have panic attacks and things of that nature. But for me, it's not because I'm just like, hey, look at me. It's more so because I want to make sure people understand I'm not ashamed. Mm. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm talking about it because there's someone else out there dealing with it that is afraid to talk about it and Mm -hmm. I'm not. So why not help that individual that may not be able to talk about it? So, yeah. Carolina, what about you? I think that, you know, it's important. We're so quick to help other people Mm -hmm. and to want to be that crying shoulder for other people and to, you know, um, help someone um, that's, you know, fallen down, help them get up. But when it comes to us, I feel like we neglect ourselves. And it's definitely about taking care of yourself just because you have to, you know, talk to someone or, or because you're not functioning the same way as you have in the past doesn't mean that you're weak. Maybe right. you're going through a tough time. Um, maybe you just need that extra help. And it, it, we're so hard on ourselves when it comes yeah. to that. So it's almost like, you know, date yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> love yourself, mm-hmm. get to know yourself, the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, understand where you come from and how it affects you. Um, 
I remember one of my favorite um, quotes that when I was going to grad school was, you're the product of your childhood. And to a certain degree, I think we kind of all are, mm-hmm. you know, certain um, situations and certain things that happen to us, we view it and process it in a very specific way. Um, that's why you have like, let's say you have a family of five siblings that go through the same situation and come out totally different because they process that specific situation completely different. So it's it's kind of understanding you and getting yeah. to know you and loving you and, and remembering that there's nothing wrong with you, that mm. you are perfect as you are. That's a great way to end, guys. Um, I just want to well, thank everybody for just engaging in the discussion and just being transparent and vulnerable because, you know, um, sharing your personal story is difficult, especially when you're sharing it with strangers because you don't know how people are going to react. But um, at the end of the day, I just hope somebody gets something out of the discussion. Um, And if somebody needs to push, you know, to, to look into their mental health and their mental wellness and maybe just calling it mental wellness and well-being might make people feel a little bit more comfortable about it, but that's really what it's all about, taking care of ourselves holistically, not just physically, but also like mind, body, and spirit in, in being well. So Carolina, I really do want to thank you for taking time out of your day to just like talk to us about this issue because it is important and we do need to normalize it a lot more. Um, to the point where there isn't a stigma attached to it and everybody feels like it's a necessary tool to add into their life. So I thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate you having, you know, giving me the space and having me here um, because like you said, it really is an important topic. And I think, you know, we don't give it any attention sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Her Crown Podcast. And until the next time, take care of yourselves. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Her Crown Podcast. And please subscribe, like, and share if you care. Until next time, let's remain supreme, queens.